This is Power Athlete Radio. With your host, Denny Cage, Professor Booty, and the Luke Summers. And now, toes forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas. It's time for some knowledge bombs. Thanks for tuning into Power Athlete Radio. This week, we bring back our dear friend and colleague, Dr. Tom Inkladon of Human Performance Specialists. As is the style of our resident mad scientist, Tom brings us the latest findings of his research involving a phenomena called the neuromatrix. Essentially, the brain and gut are connected by chemical reactions and nervous system impulses. While we've spent plenty of time discussing the relationship between the two with past guests, Tom brings forth a new take on the body's ability to communicate signs and symptoms. If you live with pain, it may be far more complicated than acute or chronic injury. According to the Neuromatrix, many other factors may be contributing to the feeling or sensation of pain, particularly as it pertains to your training. Physiologically, we experience pain like any other naturally occurring sense. But just as those senses are subject to heightening or lessening, so too is our individual pain response. There's so much fascinating discussion coming your way in just a moment. This is episode 145. Power Athlete Nation, what is up? You're here uh, with John and Luke, and we have spent the past three days in Scottsdale, Arizona. We've been at uh, Human Human Performance Specialist with our Good friend and mad scientist, Doctor uh, Doctor Tom Cosby Inkledon. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna start thinking that's my real name now. <laughs> but um, no, we're excited to be here. We've been like in and out of all sorts of crazy stuff in terms of the discussions we've had over dinner after a glass of wine or two, yeah. and then in the gym just a second ago, we were doing a bunch of occlusion stuff. But the blood uh, work and yeah, we've been know, getting, all yeah. the different treatments and everything that we've been doing. So Tom, um, you know leads the world in terms of human performance specialists and that's the name of his company, but really human performance is where he is, you know, uh, cut his teeth and really, you know, has his credentials and has more information and just, you know, more data than any human being on the planet and really knows more about it. It's really his passion. So, um, like, I, you know, you guys have heard Tom on the, on the podcast before. I mean, we've been friends for geez, well over a decade. I mean, geez, coming up on like almost 15 years with yeah. friends. So it's uh it's exciting to see how everything's grown over the years and um and we got a chance to come out here and you know do our you know annual, annual pilgrimage out here I mean hopefully twice a year to give blood and you know make sure we stay ahead of the curve um you know kind of like preventive maintenance on your car uh you don't want to you know change the oil or change the brakes or figure out something's wrong in your car when the check engine light comes on so much like your body you need to stay ahead get blood work done you know regular chiropractic care and really address any injuries or any problems that kind of come up and you know, uh, me, I just love to sweep them under the floor, pretend they don't exist, but unfortunately they come back really nasty and then you got to end up somewhere like here and hope to have Tom come fix you. So Tom, thanks for uh, joining us on the podcast and we're really excited to see you. Awesome. Uh, same here. What's yeah. exciting not to cut you off, Tom, I'll let you kind of expand yeah. on this. Yeah. Uh, you know, we were walking to lunch the other day and you had said something like, if 10 years from now, I still think oh. then what I'm thinking today, I've done something wrong. Yeah, so yeah. I think you're, you've kind of ventured into the more of a your logical side of, of performance. And I'm yeah. just kind of let you go. And- sure. So, so basically what I was sharing with you, we're walking is that, um, 
uh, a lot of people fear change. They kind of like have a mindset or philosophy and they kind of hold on to that the rest of their lives. And by doing that, they're shortchanging themselves of all the cool stuff that's coming out, which basically means you have to change. You have to change how you think. You have to change how you approach your problem solving and stuff like that. And otherwise, you, you just get you know you just get left behind because the rest of the world is not waiting for you. They're going to keep moving ahead. And um, I've uh, recently got exposed to a lot of uh, I would say there are new concepts for me in terms of incorporating them into either uh, training athletes or to patient care with the, the doctors here that see our patients. Um, but the concepts themselves have actually been around uh, for a while, in some cases more than 20 years. Uh, but almost every single human being, this means every doctor, every uh, physical therapist, athletic trainer, uh, everybody that I've been encountering when I start talking about this stuff, they all seem surprised. Like they never heard of it before. And what that reminds me is that I could literally go and look for something today, you know, on Medline or PubMed or some, some sort of international medical database. And maybe today I don't find a lot of research. And then a month from now, there could be like 4,000 studies. Like things just are changing exponentially. And it's really a challenge to stay up to date with so many things. So like most people, I look at the stuff that I've always was excited about, you know, and so a lot of what determines where I'm going is kind of like the patient that's in front of me or, you know, whatever problem I'm trying to solve in front of me, that's what gets my attention. So I've ignored a lot of my own sort of, uh, I don't know if I would say health issues, but I would say orthopedic issues for sure. Um, so my hips definitely need improvement. Um, I would say uh, left hip, left shoulder, right knee definitely need some improvement. And then uh, recently I was interacting with some colleagues and uh, they reminded me about a, a guy that I heard about like maybe 10 years ago. And uh, so a guy by the name of Ralph Charlton, yeah, Ralph's sort of like a business. I met him years ago through uh, Tim Larkin. And Ralph's like, hey, you should check out this Dr. Cobb from Z Health. And I honestly fully intended to meet Dr. Cobb and see what's going on. But like everybody else, I got a million things going on. It's like life t- kicks in. Now here we are. Like it's actually more than 10 years later. And I was in another business program. I was in a program called Strategic Coach which I think is an incredible program. It's really helped me a lot with growing my business. And uh, while I was there, I met um, a woman by the name of Kathy, who's uh, basically with Z Health. And uh, Kathy and I, we knew each other, you know, professionally. And, uh, but we only see each other like in professional circles when we, it's like once a year or once every so many months. And Kathy was like, Hey, I'm seeing this. I'm seeing that. I'm noticing some things and uh, you know, should um, think about some stuff. And, I had, before that, I actually had Eric assessed me and, you know, gave me some stuff that helped me quite a bit. Um, but I didn't have like that pain at the time anymore. So I kind of moved on into different directions. So uh, I wound up after reconnecting with Kathy, I started utilizing some of their professionals to work with some of the patients here that I thought could really benefit from that type of care. And I saw some really amazing results. I saw stuff that I thought, wow, I was really like it, it could help me take our patient outcomes to another level. So I said, all right, I'm going to just. Like what kind of stuff did you see? So uh, basically they do a lot of exercise that look at um, how does the nervous system perceive certain things as a threat and then how to counter that or improve upon it. And so an example would be someone is in pain. 
um, maybe typically abdominal pain or um, maybe like a shoulder pain. And then they go and, and they do an assessment and now that same person has in all this pain say, hey, I feel great. I don't have any pain anymore. And, and we're talking like seconds, a minute, like very short. And what they require a lot of drugs, a lot of supplementation or any like long-term strategy or sometimes I see like professionals like, let's, let's see what happens in three months. Well, the guy's in pain at this instant mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's not very satisfying to anyone to say, let's see what happens three months from right, now right. when you're in pain at this instant. And, and that's why drugs become so popular because you could literally get rid of pain pretty quickly. And what I, what I really liked about uh, some of the stuff they were sharing with me, they didn't require any drugs at all. And uh, if anything, people take reduced to take your drugs. So I started learning about uh, this concept called the uh, neuromatrix theory of pain and other concepts about pain gating and stuff like that. And I started at the same time also getting a lot of patients with really uh, significant pain in their digestive tract. And they had, um, they had colonoscopies and they had endoscopies. So there was no structural damage that could be found on imaging mm-hmm. with their GI tract. And uh, their doctors had diagnosed them. Uh, so the doctors diagnosed these particular patients with IBS. And so I then, they, they, when they came to me, so they had like a lot of work done by different professionals. And um, I looked over the scans. I thought the scans were done correctly. So then I said, well, I noticed that none of the gastroenterologists have done any extensive stool testing to see anything there. So I said, we can do some stool testing. And I found there were definitely uh, some uh, uh, microorganisms that don't belong there. But there were no signs of any of the chemicals that you would use to diagnose someone with IBS. (laughs) So basically, I didn't really see huge levels of inflammation or damage of any kind. And so... Um, but these people had lots of pain and I, and I believe them. I don't think they were lying or anything. So then I started looking up stuff about pain and the GI tract and this concept of the neuromatrix theory. And what I started seeing is that we produce chemicals in the gut. And that would mean like the stomach, small intestine, large intestine that are structurally the same as chemicals in our brain. Power Athlete Nation, we are interrupting your regular programming to bring you the launch of Form Collar. We've worked with the team from form lifting to develop what we believe is one of the most essential training aids for any coach or athlete. The device attaches to the barbell like any other collar and measures force, speed, acceleration, and power and sends this info to your smartphone instantaneously as you train. Yes, there's an app for that. Unlike any other wearables we've tested, the metrics provided are accurate and meaningful and provide yet another layer to your training that will help drive more effective power, strength, and speed adaptations. Having instantaneous access to info like this during your training is a pure game changer. Make sure you guys head over to pahq.co forward slash form lift. That's capital F. O-R-M, capital L-I-F-T, for more information on how you can get your form collar. Now back to the show. Now, if those chemicals are produced by a brain cell or a neuron, we call them a neurotransmitter. If those same exact chemicals are produced by another tissue, we call them a biogenic amine. And not not many people know biogenic amine as a phrase (laughs) or concept, right? It's not a household word or something. So as I started looking at this stuff, what I basically started seeing, it's like a two-way street. Your gut and your brain are communicating. As I started looking at certain things, I realized that I think a lot of these people had GI pain because of issues going on in the brain. I also think other people may have some 
brain, like some psychiatric, psychological issues based on stuff going on in their gut. Yet when I look at how the professionals were treating them, they were treating them in a very isolated fashion. Like, okay, pain's in your gut, so I'm going to like stick something. I'll give you a drug for your gut. Pull out eight inches of your (laughs) colon. Right, remove your colon, something like that. So I was like, this doesn't seem to be a, a smart strategy based on my interpretation of looking at all these studies. So um, I, had, I had taken some workshops through Z Health, uh, which is a company that um, Eric, Dr. Cobb has with Kathy. And I started learning some stuff. And, and I'm certainly like, uh, let's just say I'm very low on a learning curve at this point. Um, but just a little bit that I learned, I was able to do some uh, initial uh, sort of assessments with these guys, share those assessments with our doctors here, and they can confirm, yeah, like this stuff is real. It does exist for these patients. And so it's opened up basically new ways to help get rid of pain for people. And so my initial exposure was, let's say, people with gastrointestinal pain. And then we started looking at um, some of the athletes would say, orthopedic pain. And this includes now myself. And I'm going to cut you off right there. For anyone that maybe hasn't listened to your previous episode uh, or interview or episode on our podcast, talk about the people who walk through your door here at your facility. Yeah. So, um, historically, we started working with elite athletes, primarily NFL guys and major league baseball guys. Over the years, we've worked with athletes from every single sport. And at that point, most of our cases were just like, you know, guys that were basically healthy, but wanted to take their performance to the next level. And that was like the late eighties, early nineties. And then over the years, you know, I have friendships with these guys and I started having health issues and their family would have health issues. And uh, as our company grew, we had more doctors sort of on staff or different professionals we work with. We started getting more into areas of health, more so than performance. Uh-huh. And what we started seeing is lots of people have, you know, just things going on that no one ever took the time to evaluate and measure. And so common things would be like micronutrient uh, issues. They would have some type of pathogenic component in their digestive tract. Could be from training, could be from a weak immune system. Um, then we start seeing hormone issues. Uh, I've seen all kinds of things with um, guys with neurotransmitter imbalances. And so I would say... And probably a combination or symphony of all those things, oh, yeah, right? Yeah. So yeah. to decode that is... Yeah. It's complicated. Yeah. <laughs> you're not yeah. going to walk into yeah. the, the urgent care down the street and they're not going to be able to call that out. Yeah. yeah. And so the, the, so the challenge is right now... So uh, I'm going to limit this uh, statement to the United States only. I'm not going to talk about other countries. Uh, we have clients flying from over one. Um, but in the United States right now, the average physician has to see a patient in less than 15 minutes. The average doctor spends 9 to 15 minutes with a patient. If they spend more time in that, it's not profitable for them given the current insurance model. So essentially, um, you know, under Obamacare, thanks President Obama, we've now created a factory system where it's no longer healthcare; it's a time management system. I got to get you in and get you out, so I can see the next guy. Yeah. Well, that's the only solution that will work in that model is drugs, and and that's why you see this country is the most over-medicated country in the world. And so a lot of the people walk into our doors, they're wearing way more drugs than they should be on. Mm-hmm. And no one's staying on top of it. What's happening is Dr. A gives you a drug, tells you, all right, uh, you got a problem, see Dr. B. Dr. B gives you a different drug, I see Dr. C. And so part of why I'm really into some of this stuff with the, the nervous system, if you will, and how the brain perceives things as a threat is you can get really quick change without medication and 
I, I, feel, I truly believe we can take people off medications. So now we can sort of fight this over-medicated society. I don't think long-term having a society that's over-medicated is going to uh, impede our growth intellectually and professionally. We're not going to have the great scientists come from the U.S. anymore. They're going to come from other places because we're going to make everybody dumber by over-medicating them. Mm-hmm. You know, and so without because it's going to be in, you know, these chemicals make their way into the environment and it gets into everybody else. You know, if you look at data across the board, you could test a given human being in the United States right now and probably find up to 2,500 chemicals that do not occur in nature. Wow. So that means we're all being contaminated on a daily basis. So I'm not like super paranoid. I'm not like, hey, you got to be afraid of everything. But I do think we got to start practicing uh, social responsibility and accountability. So every person has to be responsible and accountable to themselves and their family. And then once they get that part of the world figured out, then grow beyond that, mm-hmm. right? Otherwise, it's kind of like you're like poisoning your friends and neighbors without even knowing it, you know what I mean, kind of thing. So uh, to get back on focus about, you know, so so the cases we get generally here, they're pretty complicated. And, you know, it takes hours or days just to fit, to figure out where to start. But we put together a game plan and then kind of follow through and what I like about the approaches our doctors here use, there's no pressure. We give people options and they get to be as aggressive or as conservative as they want. And um, our model is that health should be fun. It should not be scary or fearful or anything like that. And uh, now tying that back into the, I guess, the folks of the podcast yeah. about some of the matrix stuff is there's just a lot of really cool stuff out there right now. And, I, and I, so one thing I would encourage everyone, you know, if you buy a computer, just find out for yourself. Just put, you know, go into Google and put in, you know, pain and neuromatrix theory. And you're going to see, like, on Google Scholar, there's a lot of stuff out there. This is not a new concept, nothing made up. It is fairly complicated. Um, there are some ways, though, that you could simplify it and make it easier. Um, but it's one of those things that as you start dabbling in it and learning more about it, you'll figure out stuff for yourself that, will allow you to recover better, will allow you to improve the quality of your training, will allow you to train in a way that doesn't kill yourself. You know, Um, when I was uh, competing years ago, kind of the the mindset then was, you know, no, no, uh, no pain, no gain. right? Right. And even today, a lot of athletes still practice that. And the thing is, when you're young, you know, you could damage yourself pretty good and still keep moving. But now as time goes on and you have the accumulation of damage, and you have experience and wisdom, you start thinking, you know what? Maybe if I could figure out a way to make progress without pain, <laughs> it might be better. Mm-hmm. And, and then what you see then is you start really changing your approach a lot. So I hope that wasn't too long-winded or no, stuff. No, no. You know, um, As you know, I'm just getting warmed up. You know? <laughs> yeah. oh. Never at a loss for words. <laughs> maybe, maybe again, just uh, tapping back in a little bit of your past, we mm-hmm. talked about competing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Talk about some of your accomplishments in the younger days and who you hung with and and what you were, you know, so, what um, made you take and what did you train for? Yeah, so I did uh, Olympic lifting. I did powerlifting. I did uh, all-around lifting. I did strongman lifting. Um, I mean, I, I loved uh, I loved strength sports. I still follow it uh, today. You know, I watch it on uh, different uh, aspects on the web. Um, but I had probably the most fun doing some of the strongman contests. I got a chance to meet all kinds of really cool guys. Um the guys that got me started were Brian Neese and Chad Coy. And uh, a real funny story was um, I literally saw them on TV. And I, I want to say it was like a Friday or Saturday night. And I had to go to an American College of Sports Medicine annual meeting to present some data. 
And uh, so I saw these big guys on TV competing. And the next day there was like uh, an exhibit hall. And I saw these same guys at a booth. So it's like, I just saw them on TV the night before. And now I'm walking to the exhibit hall. I saw them and it was like, these were huge guys compared to me. And I was like, I just saw, I saw Brian. I said, Brian, I just saw you on TV last night. He's like, oh, really? And he was explaining what I was recorded like, mm-hmm. you know, months ago and just aired now type of thing. But he's a really cool dude. And I was like, hey, I always want to do this, but I don't know what the hell I'm doing, you know, and I don't want to like kill myself the first workout. It doesn't sound too intelligent, you know. So he's like, hey, why don't you come out and train? And then got started and I got all kinds of crazy, funny stories after that. <laughs> but it just, uh, things went real well for me. Um, I responded really well, got a chance to meet uh, incredibly strong guys and Magnus for Magnuson, Magnus Samuelson, Mark Henry, um, Phil Fister. I mean, just a ton of guys over the years. I met genetic freaks left and right, you know. Um, I literally met guys that could run with a thousand pounds like there was nothing there. You know, just crazy things. I saw guys squat a thousand pounds or more easily without super suits, right. you know, um, just cool things. And uh, anyway, so it was a lot of fun. Then over the years, though, um, you know, I just uh, I was always that I was a really intense competitor. Um, I hate losing. And, I, I, you know, I wasn't like I wasn't at the point where I would take any drug necessary to win. But I was definitely uh, committed. I was from like a blue collar uh, mindset that if you're better than me, I could just work harder and then catch up and surpass you. And in retrospect, I would say, you know, that, that maybe was good for a little bit. But what that led to was a lot of overtraining, right? Because I just figured I could compensate by training more or longer. And uh, I wouldn't advise other people to use that same strategy <laughs> today. Right? I would say, yeah, you might want to look at it a little differently than I did. Um, but anyway, so that's kind of the background there. Uh, along the way, I was really fortunate enough to study with some of the brightest minds in the world in exercise uh, science uh, at Penn State and University of Miami. I met some really smart guys. A lot of those guys today, um, you know, they're department chairs or heads at various universities, have TV shows. Um, so these are these are really bright guys. And I had a chance to like literally study with all these guys over the years and get exposed to all kinds of cool stuff. All right, so then let's wind this back into kind of what you're you're geeking out on now, which sure. is this uh, neuromatrix, neuromatrix, yeah. uh, pain neuromatrix theory. Yeah. So then, how? So let's go into it. Just give us like uh, you know the. So let, let's just say that um, uh, uh, a real simple way of maybe explaining it is think of it as the brain is processing information, and whatever the brain or, or maybe the nervous system might be a, even a better way of saying it. Whatever the nervous system perceives as maybe a threat or a, some type of challenge that that could impact then the output side. That output side would be how what we perceive as painful, what we perceive as maybe emotionally stressful. Um, so that could affect, you know, um, are we going to cry? Are we anxious? Are we depressed? Are we motivated? Um, that could affect, do I feel pain or do we feel pain doing something? And um, where that pain is. And then to put some things in perspective, um, most of the time when someone says, hey, my knee hurts or my stomach hurts or my elbow hurts, when I see a doctor, the doctor then looks at that particular area of the body and tries to you know, inject or give a pill or do something for that local area. And th- there's some um, like it, there's a that's a sound approach from the from a biomechanical perspective of like, OK, you'd start looking at where the problem is, where the, where the patient perceives a problem. But as you start looking at stuff from more of a, uh, like a neurological perspective, you start saying, well, 
the brain's responsible for so many different things going on in, in the human body. And when someone reports something here, how do we know that's the only thing going on? Or that's really what, 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 a, what a source of the problem is. You really don't know that sometimes. And so there's ways to kind of assess and evaluate what's going on and compare different parts of the brain and the nervous system. And then from there, start creating um, like sort of a, you could create enough data points to see a pattern and that helps to guide you what action to take. And those, and those action steps can be very simple, corrective exercises that get rid of pain. So um, along those lines, one of the things I like to do a lot of people is I just like to do some sensory deprivation stuff. Just let them see, you know, I have usually, you know, record them on their own phone. So that way they know it's them and they have proof of it, but just see how they move when you get rid of vision and hearing. Mm-hmm. And you just see everybody does myself included. They just, they just, you know, walk to the left, they walk to the right. So uh, to kind of maybe, I probably didn't do a good, a good enough job explaining it, but it's kind of like after you wear sound muffs or earmuffs, so you can't hear anything. And I have you wear a blindfold type uh, setup so you can't see anything. And I just have you march in place. And what we're trying to see is what does your body do when you can't see or hear? Because you should move, right? If everything's perfectly balanced, you should stay right there. And what you see is, you know, people walk, they start marching to their left, but they swear they're not moving. Or uh, sometimes with athletes, what you see is they march to the left, and once they realize that they have a good body awareness a lot of times, and once they realize they're moving, they then try to make an adjustment. But because they can't see the adjustment visually, they start maybe going in a circle, or start maybe going back to the right or something. I knew I was moving. Yeah, so uh, spoiler <laughs> I, I, alert, I, 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 yeah, but you, the people Dr. Tom are talking about are <laughs> John and I. Well, well, I, I. As we started going, like, I took probably about maybe 10 steps, uh-huh. and I knew I was moving. I just couldn't tell which direction I was moving. Okay. I thought so all for this... sure I was fucking glued in. Yeah. No, yeah. I'm telling you, I, I thought I was. I was literally like, I, I could feel the steps and I knew like, even though my steps felt like there, I just knew like, uh, like space relationship. I knew that I was moving mm-hmm. and then I was like, but I didn't know where I was moving. So then I was trying to correct it mm-hmm. and come back, which is why I think I went one way and then I went back the other See, I was focused on like symmetrical movement patterns. I knew my arms weren't swinging in cadence, so then I tried to correct that. Then my legs were all fucked up, and I guess I wasn't even thinking about. I guess I, I thought I saw downstream. If my movement cadence was off, then I was going to be moving along that mm-hmm. the floor. So I'm thinking, if I could just stay balanced in my movement, I shouldn't move, which well, fucking didn't I, I, work. I I also felt like a like a, a seam in the floor, mm-hmm. and like I felt a seam foot. on my foot. And then I was like, maybe if I can just stay on that scene. <laughs> Dude, the problem he's was, trying to cheat the system. Well, well, he's like and, gaming the test. Well, yeah. and, and then the problem is I lost the scene, and I couldn't find it again. <laughs> and, then, yeah. and then I knew I knew I was moving because I had lost the scene. Yeah. And like, it was one of those things where I knew I was moving. I tried to correct it. I found the scene. I couldn't find the scene. Uh, and I was like, fuck. See, I thought you just had some epilepsy or something. That's what was going on with your feet. But now I see you're looking for the scene. Right? Yeah. So like I'm, I'm using every like I'm like you take my eyes my ears I'm going to use every sense available to me to, to balance it out. Well, so the, the thing um, that uh, that stood out for me, John, when you went is uh... Cold Blast Coffee is Power Athletes Limited Edition Dark Roast. It's a hardworking, true grit, kick in the door and fire up the machine coffee. Billowing with big, bold flavor, it kicks harder than John Wayne's horse, packs more punch than Bruce Lee, and if Chuck Norris ever approved a coffee, this'd be it. We have proudly partnered with Caveman Coffee Co. to bring you this exclusive blend. 
Only 500 bags exist, so get it while you can at shop.powerathletehq.com. Now back to the show. You almost immediately took like a step forward. The other thing for both of you, you both started out real slow. Like I would, so normally I expect athletes to move quicker, right? Uh-huh. I'd expect elderly people to move slow. And I what do you say? No, we, <laughs> no, 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 no. You know, like a, you, you gotta like, well, like, what I, what I saw with you guys, right, right. So when I saw you guys, I saw like, I, I could have, like, I'm trying to think like what it was like in your mind, you know, uh-huh. in your brains. And I could see both of you like trying to figure out what you're going to do. <laughs> well, we've done enough like of these tests and things to know like, uh, the the idiot just, just in dives right in, <laughs> like like right in, it just fucks it all up. Where yeah, it's like I try to like, you should go first and let me watch you, and, uh, <laughs> and then I'm gonna make corrections based <laughs> off what you. Well, that's what I thought I did, and I fucked it up. <laughs> but well, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say, um, would, would the reason why I like to start off with something like that, it just kind of like, uh, um, it's a very uh, fun way to get people aware that there's something off balance or there's something that needs correction. And it's not like demeaning or threatening. It's, it's, it's really funny. And you got, you got basically got proof for yourself that you could see. Have you ever seen anybody not move? No, nah, everybody, um, everybody moves. Now I've seen like um, one guy maybe move a little bit, you know, what I, what I've seen a lot of when I have couples come in, so a husband and wife couple comes in and I've seen like um, so a couple. So let's say the guy goes first, and he's marching in place. And I would see him go to the right, and then the wife goes. She marches in place. I see her go to the left. I just thought, wow, that's just very interesting. It's it's like they have movement patterns that complement or balance each other out. I thought they were just trying and, to get the fuck away from each other. Well, depends on how you start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like after sixty years, baby, I need a break. Yeah. <laughs> No, I, I, what I kind of almost wonder is like as they're walking, holding hands, like do they develop a pattern over time? Or just watching each other would be a mirror image. Yeah, right? or or just you know you're 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 maybe consciously or subconsciously like you know you know using your partner as a guide, let's right. say. So now when you've removed that stimulus, I mean, I don't know, I'm just kind of guessing. Yeah, now. Sure, sure. I just thought that it was. Um, I've seen a couple of times, and I just thought, hmm, you know. Um, I, I would love to be able to uh, have uh, force platforms and have um, all kinds of like EG, EMG type stuff and do a lot of this, these, these tests, especially now as I'm reading more things. Um, one of the things that I noticed, oh, and I didn't do this, this with you guys. I should have done this. We, just, man, we never have enough time every time we get together. Yeah. It's like we have a million tangents. One of the things I want to do is have you guys walk and start asking you questions where you yeah. have to process and think it through. So I had, um, when it was done to me, so most of the time, someone asked me a question, I could pretty much process and give an answer fairly quickly. I'm usually pretty good on my feet, but I'm standing still or I'm sitting. So now I'm walking, and of course it was in front of a lot of people, so there's a little bit of that you know, self-image, self-conscious aspect to it or nervousness about being a group. But I had uh, Dr. Cobb ask me questions, and I was like, oh. <laughs> it's frozen. Like, well, I don't, I, it's hard. So how I felt inside doesn't, doesn't, uh, didn't match up with the perception people had outside, I think, but in my mind, I actually felt paralyzed and I don't, I don't, I didn't feel like I was moving. Now I was still walking and I, at some point I probably did stop, but it literally, I felt like 
It's like nothing could happen. Nothing would work. What just shows you how much is going on in the brain that, I, that I'm dealing with, you know, mm-hmm. the simple question, it's, it's basically stupefied me on the spot. And know? what kind of what we alluded to when we talked about this at dinner is, you know, a lot of mileage on the joints yeah. and that movement pattern, whether it's, you know, farmer's carries or mm-hmm. anything from your strong, strongman where you're using sensory input, what you hear, what you see to compensate for deficiencies, right? Yeah. So as your brain's calculating that sensory input to compensate, to allow you to walk, it's detracting from your ability to process and calculate simple questions, simple yeah. math, right? Yeah, there's just like a lot of uh, competition for attention almost, mm-hmm. you know, and, and there's things like people telling all the time, hey, you're wobbling when you walk. And I'll tell you, I don't feel any wobble at all. But what will happen is if someone points it out, uh, maybe uh, I could temporarily stand up, you know, maybe like walk straighter without wobbling. But that's a very conscious, it's like a mechanical, I'm thinking about what I'm mm-hmm. doing type of walk. And walking should not be something you have to think about doing. Walking should be, you know, it just happens like breathing, you know, uh-huh. and your heart rate. It, should, it shouldn't be something to think about. When there's something going on, it's a serious right. problem. Unlike other movement patterns, right? Yeah, so, yeah. like, you, you couldn't necessarily – replicating the test with other types of movement patterns would be less natural. Yeah. Right? So yeah. it wouldn't be indicative. Like, a walk should be totally subconscious Yeah. and shouldn't rob the brain of uh, the ability to process other information. Yeah. Yeah, or, or do, you know, well, at least basic tasks, you know, mm-hmm. like if I ask you the alphabet, like I shouldn't be stumping you, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, now, my challenge and say, you know, say every second or third letter, or in other words, just make, break it up just a little bit, but you have enough experience with the alphabet, like it's not like a whole new language or something. Uh-huh. And what you see once there's a little bit of processing, you see a lot of things surface up in people. Uh, sometimes they actually improve, and sometimes, you know, like in my case, I felt like I got a lot worse, you know. Now, what it is, you know, what's interesting is um, when I was uh, when I was going through some assessments, uh, I, at that point, I would have said I never had uh, an ankle issue or ankle injury. And I started doing some other stuff, and out of nowhere, I had a memory back when I was like 12. I was like, wait a minute. I jacked up my ankles pretty good. I remember playing football. You know, it was like a pickup game of football uh, with some other kids my age. And I remember my one foot was purple or bluish from, you know, tearing something in the injury. But that's so long ago. It was over 30 years ago. So it wasn't like I remember it so vividly. It was almost like I forgot about it. And it wasn't until something else happened that made me remember it. And as a consequence of remembering that, I did some ankle mobility drills, and after I did the ankle mobility drills, pain in my hip went away. And um, I've noticed that at any time I have pain in a knee or a hip for me, I do some simple ankle circles, and I don't have any pain anymore. Hmm. And people tell me I walk better afterwards. Now, I can't see myself walking, you know, but if we did a video, I could see myself in the video or whatever. So this has got me sort of more open to... Uh, non-pharmacological ways of helping people improve their gait, improve their joint health. Um, I showed you, you know, the, um, the one exercise today where kind of uh, um, basically we could call like a hip swing where have your um, your femur resting across that padded bar yeah. and then basically swinging back and forth almost like a pendulum with your foot. And, uh, you know, they want a little bit of traction that just helps pull – the femur out of the hip a little bit. So the idea is I'm giving it more motion 
you know. And John moves really well. We only did it one side. We should have maybe, if we had more time, we did any other side too. But a lot is just to give you get your exposure because then you guys can tinker with it on your mm-hmm. own, see some other stuff. Um, as I get some videos, I'll uh, see if I can share them with you guys because I think it'll help a lot. So this is all kind of anecdotal stuff in terms of that neuro pain your matrix theory, mm-hmm. right? And then talk about some of the research or like studies. Uh, you're talking about, for example, baseball players and other um, elite yeah. athletes. Yeah. So let's just, let's just like, well, this may go back to that deal where uh, I think you and I talked about this, where they pulled people off the street and they MRI their backs and they found that like, you know, of the thousands of people that they did, I mean, it was a huge section of study that like, uh, you know, they brought people in and MRI their back and asked them, you know, Hey, do you have any back pain? And there were people in there that had bulge collapsed this, that never mentioned any back pain. They never, you know, I don't have any back pain. I feel fine. Mm-hmm. And they had these horrific deals. And Tom talked about one with baseball players and their rotator cuffs. Um, you know, uh, you know, some people don't realize about most NFL players have um, a myriad of injuries that most normal people would figure would get them disability and wouldn't go to work. Mm-hmm. And they're like, how are these guys able to go out and perform and do these things? And I, I think it goes back to the idea of, the best athletes in the world aren't necessarily the best athletes because they have the most raw material, even though they probably do, but it's the, the best athletes for the world are the ones that are able to uh, solve what I call athletic problems where an injury comes up and they're able to recruit other muscles, change movement patterns, or change compensate. or compensate. Yeah. And it becomes this idea of like who can compensate the most. Yeah, uh, yeah. Iterate and compensate consistently, right? Because well, things everybody's are injured. Right, so one injury takes a guy off the field, the same injury, all of a sudden the guy goes out there and scores the winning touchdown, and they're like, wow, one injury doesn't affect him. It's just that that, that guy has a more, you know, comprehensive, mm-hmm. more a greater understanding to compensate and kind of move around these different injuries. And ultimately that strategy has a shelf life, though. Well, it, it does. Varying it, shelf life. It's right? happened to me. Uh, all of a sudden, I you know, I go in from starting 16 games, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden I go into my 10th year and I get injured. And all of a sudden, I could not do it anymore. And it was a weird deal. It was as if, like, I had compensated to the point where, like, all of a sudden, you start taking things away from me. And I just, you know, uh, you strip an athlete down to where they don't have any more available. And then one day, they go from being able to play to not being able to play. And I think that's what just happened to me, that all of a sudden, enough things get stripped around. And and, um, that became part of the the reason why, you know, I realized, like, hey, uh, I just can't physically do the job at the level which I want to do it in a time frame that I have to recover. And, um, you know, that's, uh, you know, really interesting, especially in athletics where, you know, mentally and emotionally you still want to do it, but you come to this realization that you can't play at the level which mm-hmm. you used to play at. And you don't ever want to be that guy who, you know, uh, stays too long at the party and like tap, you know, like I, I had a lot of ego about, you know, how I played the game and, the way I approached it and like this level and anything less than that wasn't okay with me. It wasn't like all of a sudden I was like, Hey, okay, you're a decent backup. You know, after right. starting my whole career, I couldn't go to being a backup. So um, just, you know, at that point you're like, Hey, I, I did what I was supposed to do and I'll go do something else. And then also, you know, you start this journey on trying to like heal yourself and try to figure out like, you know, I, I always laugh at that quote of the Dalai Lama saying that they, uh, he, he asked what he was, um, Yes, the Dalai Lama, what was most confusing for him in life? And he said, man is the most confusing. He said, uh, man spends his whole life 
chasing money, doing everything to destroy his health. And then once he gets the money, he spends all his money trying to regain his health. <laughs> and uh, it's a funny quote. I mean, it's so true. Mm-hmm. You know, people burn the candle at both ends and all of a sudden they attain this and then they look and they think, man, I got to go back in time and try to do it when they probably hadn't gone down on that road, they wouldn't be in this pain. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, but I mean, that's really where Tom and I have connected on a kind of such a deeper level. It's this idea of, you know, we both had a pretty good athletic success. And as a result, you can't get through those type of situations without being in the meat grinder. And then you get out of the meat grinder and then you think to yourself, you know, uh, I still want to train. I still want to do these things, but how do I do these most intelligently and how do I heal myself? And how do I, you know, hopefully get to the end of this thing with the same parts I started with. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to leave it there. And as always, now it's time for you to empower your performance. Do as the doc says in Google Neuromatrix and pain. The information that pops up will maze you. Don't forget to head to shop.powerathletehq.com for our delicious cold blast coffee and keep your eyes peeled for our new apparel arriving just in time for spring. Until next time, bye!